0: Welcome to Thrive Community Podcast. We are a church community that is passionate about helping you thrive in your life with Jesus. If you're after more information about Thrive Community, hop onto our website at www.thrivecommunity.au. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired by this message. going through today, this, this passage, I guess it's um, in a way to help realign us back to the truth of the gospel when we're maturing in the faith today. But there's still some things that need to be assessed in the foundations. Like every so many years, the foundations of buildings need to be assessed for decay and they need to be treated um, against termites and all those different things. And in the same way, when it comes to our faith, we need to look at our foundations and continually self-examine. And so we're going to be looking at a passage and it's in Colossians. And it's, Colossians is one of my favourite books in the Bible. It's one of the most Christ-centred books. And we're going to be looking at the third chapter. And this is where I really feel it dovetails with everything that we've been talking about leading up to Easter and since. And in chapter three, we've We've got this beautiful depiction of how we ought to live, and in the first two chapters, uh, Paul is providing a really theologically rich exposition of Christ, namely his lordship over all creation, be that visible and invisible, and his securing work bringing about the redemption of his people, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the light of his beloved Son, in Colossians 1.13 And in the third chapter, this is where I really want to, we're going to be camped today. There is a shift in the tone and it transitions into an exhortation. And if you read many of the epistles, you could start to pick up that it's a characteristic of Paul's writing, that he provides an exposition of the gospel. Then he provides the framework of how that is lived out. He then provides this way in which we can, Live by these truths These doctrinal indicatives That he's provided us And then he gives us these practical Imperatives and we see that all throughout Hebrews We see that in Ephesians 4 We see that in Romans 11 Where he's laid out the truth claims And then he's like now this is how You live And for I guess for Paul Christianity And our faith in the Lord is not just A theoretical one now, we need the theory, right? It's, it, it's what anchors our boat. Otherwise, we're just blown about by every wind of doctrine, right? But for Paul and for us today, our faith also needs to be one that works. It needs to move. It needs to breathe. It, it, it's, it's the horse that needs to get up, trot and gallop. Otherwise, it's dead, right? So it needs to work. And this is where it says, and we're just going to be looking at two verses today. And I really wish I could get through more. But I was just kind of stuck there. And it says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Sometimes we could read scriptures, particularly on what Paul writes, and we can translate it like, oh, Paul's been a moralist here. He's trying to tell us that we've got to behave with our thoughts and seek the right things. But he's not just trying to merely emphasize piety and where these Christians on the hamster wheel continually clawing after holiness but never ascending, right? That's no different to what the Pharisees were, right? that it, Paul is a realist, right? He's calling us to respond to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality of the hope to which we've been called. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ. Uh, and we just know uh, in the previous chapters, it's all about the, the grandeur of Christ, his lordship, right? So he's laid the case for that. And now he's saying, if then you've been raised with Christ, if you've been called to such a degree, such a high standard, If you've been united with Jesus in his death, burial and resurrection by faith, then there's a challenge. It requires something of you. If you want the whole package of all that God has done through his son, Jesus, then that ought to change how you live. Then there needs to be some sort of conformity in our lifestyles to those truths. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And this is, again, it's not trying to be perfect, right? It's not pursuing a standard for the sake of it. It's responding to the work the Lord Jesus has done in us. It's responding to the truth that he's preeminent over all creation. And understanding that he's not merely to be first, but he's in a whole different class and everything is subject to him. It's not like we can put Jesus first, then do all the things that we want to do. No, no, no. Because he's first, it means everything now is ordered and subject to him in our lives. And I thought it'd be a really cool thought experiment. Um, imagine right now, the, the way that we are right now, what, what, whatever's been going on in your week, whatever's been occupying your mind, if in this very moment you were transported to where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Right. So right now, just imagine in an instant (laughs) thought exercise, you're immediately in that company. Right. And if you in that moment were then to examine your desires, could you say with any certainty that they would retain their relevance and their allure in that moment? Come on, I I have some crazy thoughts that go in my mind. (laughs) I have some things that 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 linger and I meditate on I'm like, why am I meditating on that? In that context, there's so many things when we put it in the light of His holiness, we realise they're inappropriate. They're incompatible for walking with the Lord and being led by His Spirit. 1 Peter 16 says, But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do as it is written. Be holy because I'm holy. And... I just really had the sense that as followers of Jesus, we need to have a high view of God. Um, I think, particularly in our charismatic tradition, we're very good at having a, a low and intimate and close view of God. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Like we know that Jesus is our, our shepherd, right? The Bible says he's closer than a brother. He's a high priest that sympathizes with our weakness, right? He He wants us to come to Him. If we're weary and burdened, he'll give us rest. He's so humble, right, and approachable. But we must also weigh that intention with his transcendence. The fact that he's a holy and righteous God. It's to have Isaiah 45 imprinted on our hearts where God says concerning himself, I am the God, there is no other. He says, uh, I am the Lord, there is no other. There is no God but me. And I just think... As we have a high view of God, that's what tunes our affections to want to be like him and to want to please him in all that we do. So that means that the things that we seek and meditate on are also not exempt to that. (laughs) They also must be subject to the very place where Jesus is seated preeminently over all creation. And I love in the text that it says, Seek the things above where Christ is, and we're going to have some discussion afterwards. Um, Matt explained so well last week, using First John chapter 2, verse 16, that humanity's biggest problems can be summarized in craving for pleasure, craving for possessions, in craving for achievements and status. And I love it that it says, "Seek the things above where Christ is, because we could put so many other things above. We can place so many other things on the pedestal of importance. It was John Calvin that said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. <laughs> we can make an idol out of anything if we're fixated on it too much. We could even make an idol of good things, of the blessings of God. We could even make an idol of God moving in this paradigm that we set for Him. We can get very creative and resourceful with our worship. As humans, we are, by our nature, inveterate worshippers. I, I just think back to Exodus chapter 32, when the Israelites, they fashioned for themselves a golden calf. And then they attributed, in verse 3, the miracles that God had done for them, taking them out of the hand of Egypt to that calf, I just think it's so preposterous. It's ridiculous to consider that they did that. But I want to point our attention to something here. Because I'm just going to read a bit of Exodus 24, 12 to 18. The Lord tells Moses, come up. I'm going to give you these commandments and the law for how you guys are to live. Right? And so in verse 13, Moses then delegates. And he tells the elders what he's going to do when he leaves Aaron. And her to really proceed over everything that's going on. And then it says that Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered it. So if you're on ground level, which, were, which was where all the Israelites were, they can see that the mountain is crowned with, a, with something that's not natural, right? There is this beautiful, mysterious cloud that's crowning the mountain. And for six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called Moses... From within the cloud to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord, this is what it says in verse 17, looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud and he went up on the mountain and he stayed in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I think God was trying to tell us something, tell the Israelites something here, because if they had just looked up, they would have seen something far surpassing a calf that they built from their own jewellery. They would have seen a blazing inferno, a firestorm literally crowning Mount Sinai just above them. But they didn't have their eyes set towards heaven. They had it set in the present. They had it set in the immediate. They had it set in their frustrations and what they lacked and what they needed. And so they needed something to worship. Moses was scarcely gone for 40 days and they're already turning to another God. How different are we? We're not much different. And that's Paul's challenge to us to raise our thinking, our expectation, our thoughts, our desires to where Christ is. Because so often we have the tendency to lowering Christ to where we are. And when we do that, we've got the tendency of putting something else in his stead, And that something else is always going to be something false. And so in summary of that first verse... We spend a little while on it. It's <laughs> seek the things that are above. So seek Christ. How do we do that? We meditate and look upon his perfect image displayed in the gospel. We have the full image of Jesus. Like we not the perfect image that one day we'll see him face to face and then we'll see him face to face. But we have this beautiful image that the gospel has shown us. And we pray and we worship and we get in godly community. But then it says in verse 2, To set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. How are we going? Are we good? Um, uh, us modern readers, we can interpret this um, in many different ways. But if we look in the context of, to which Paul was writing to the church, the Colossae, um, it's so subversive to the culture and the thought of that period. Um, that period was... They really esteemed philosophy and the Greek or Roman gods, right? Like Zeus and all that stuff, right? They really esteemed them so much so that their whole culture and society was built on the backs of of their gods, right? It really was. Um, much of Roman culture and the, the, and that of the Greeks was built on their gods, and these deities they worshipped. There is not one in their canon that was infinite. They were all finite. And you'll, you'll catch where I'm going in a second. And this really gives us a really great insight into really how subversive and countercultural the gospel's declarations of Jesus are. Because in giving glory to Christ, it's also simultaneously making us and making those readers in the day realise how earthly, even the things that they've placed on a pedestal are. Even their, their gods are, are nothing compared to Christ. And because they had gods that were not finite, that, that were finite rather, it resulted in them not having a sufficient reference point for how to live morally. They had no absolutes. They had no intellectual reference point either. There was nothing big enough to concrete their understanding and how to navigate the complexities of life. So there was often social uh, unrest, uh, upheaval and political unrest in these societies because it was built on gods that were finite. And an interesting observation that like if you look at like the gods of that day, they're were, they were pretty much just like exaggerated humanity, right? They had all the same vices, right? They were just like Marvel superheroes, like really. <laughs> Like, pretty ridiculous when you think about it. And if we consider Rome, this epic civilization, we know that Rome didn't last forever. It wasn't conquered from an external foreign army. It crumbled from within. It crumbled from within because the society in which it was built upon had gods that were finite, exaggerated versions of men and women this mere character, caricatures of playing divine. They weren't divine. And then in contrast, we have Jesus, who happens to be the most named, entitled figure in all history. And so the Lordship of Jesus is so comprehensive, is that we don't actually have room in our faith for a limited Christ that is Lord over some things. <laughs> he is Lord over everything. He's endlessly comprehensive. He fills every single gap, every single crevice. Colossians 1.17, it says, He is before all things and all things hold together. So we can take all of Christ for all our life and we won't be lacking anything. Right? But it requires us to seek Him. It requires us to have our minds stayed on Him. So to set our minds on the things above, our faith requires an engaged mind. Our faith actually does require an engaged mind, and particularly going up in many charismatic churches is almost like check your mind at the door because you get, you get, it's all about the heart and it's true. But I have just been getting this real sense that God wants to engage every part of me because He's Lord of every part of me. He's not just Lord of my heart. He's Lord of my mind. He's Lord of my actions. He's Lord of my my, my thoughts. My early morning ponderings and my late night musings, he's Lord of it all. And I'm thankful as well that an engaged mind doesn't require a genius or some sort of intellectual mind, right? It just means, what that means is Romans 8, 6. Perfect peace, a mind set on the spirit is a mind that is full of life and peace. So if we want to follow Jesus, if we don't have a right view of him, then we're not going to be led anywhere. If we have a low view of God, a low portrait, an incomplete image of who he is, then we're going to find difficult to live in a way that transcends that view that we've constructed for ourselves of who he is. We need to allow God to define himself, not our biases, not what we've been going through, not what we feel like. And... I really see this as, you know, very much like the those in, the, in that time that Paul was writing. Many today, they either disregard the existence of God or the relevance of God. And then you often see something very consistent amongst all of them is that because they disregard the authority of God, they don't have a sufficient reference point for what, what how they define morality. They don't have a sufficient reference point for an absolute. There's nothing that's granting them. Right? They want to run off and gallop on the horse on the open fields. But they don't have the, the reins. They don't have the, the, the saddle, the stern. There's nothing that can steer anything. They're, they're just aimless. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And really, friends, this is the goal. It's, it, so much of my Christianity, like in the faith, it's just been, oh, i just got to... Avoid sin, i just got to conquer sin. But that's actually still a low goal. It's a low vision. It says, seek the things above where Christ is. He's the goal. He's the end game. Being with him and being like him, that's what it's all about. It doesn't matter if we had 300 people in here or if we had three people in here. Because the end game is not that. The end game is to be like Christ and to know him, which is super exciting. So as we continue, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's to say that we've died to the passions of this world, its cares, its pleasures, that we're no longer bound to things that Matt talked about last week, the, the cravings for pleasure, the cravings to gain things, and, and status, and, and, and recognition. We're dead to those things. And we've been made alive with Christ. Our dead, We were once dead in our sins, but now we're dead to that sin. And also our redemption has been made secure, hidden with Christ and God. Such an encouragement. And we're just going to move along quickly because I don't want to be like Pharaoh. I'll let you guys go. There's my dad joke for today. But it says, when Christ who is your life appears. When Christ who is your life. Your life, not a part of your life. He's your life. No longer, you know, it's no longer bandits. In, in some sense, it's Christ. You know what I mean? So there's an impetus to be like Him. There's an impetus to seek Him, to think thoughts that would be pleasing to Him. Then you also will appear with Him in glory. This is a result of a life that's just spent seeking and having its mind stayed on the Lord, and that's what. Isaiah 26, 3 says, it says, Thou will keep him perfect peace, King James Version, <laughs> whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And I just think that's just such an encouragement to us that whatever happens, right, whether he returns or calls us home, right, we will see him. And I was just thinking that the other day, like, that is, this is going to be so worth it. Like, everything in that moment is going to make sense. Because right now we, we walk by faith, not by sight. But, and we see dimly in the mirror as Paul talks about in Corinthians. But then we're going to see him face to face. We're going to see him face to face. <laughs> you know, blessed are you because we haven't seen yet we believe. But we will see and we will experience him. And we'll be able to walk with him. And talk with him in this intimate way, more real than and more tangible than you and us in this room together right now. And it's going to be a glorious day on that day. Revelation 21 4. God shall wipe all tears from our eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And I'd just like to end with a quote from John Owen says, let us examine ourselves. Do we long and desire to see the reality of Christ's glory in heaven? Or are we too filled with the world and its own concerns? As believers beholding the glory of Christ in the glass of the gospel, we are changed into the same image and likeness by the Spirit of the Lord. So those beholding the beauty of the world and the things that are in it, through the cursed glass of self-love, are in their minds, changed into its image. But we have not so learned Christ Jesus. I always think, just as we close this, I don't want to speak for long, that we would just examine our hearts and and really think about what we think about. (laughs) It sounds pretty practical and pretty simple, but it's always so good to ask Holy Spirit is there something that's out of alignment in my heart? Am I, am I putting something else on the pedestal? Is there something else that I placed first? Is there something else that I've kind of made an idol? I've made, I put so much hope and expectation and trust in it. And I'd be disappointed. I'd be so disappointed if it didn't work out the way I thought. I wonder if we could just, in this moment, just maybe allow. Holy Spirit, to just do that heart work in us right now. And just be open to him revealing things that we've done out of negligence or out of ignorance or that we've willingly participated in, that we've willingly meditated on because it actually made us feel good. It made us feel like we're in the driver's seat. But it's one of those sins where the, the, the gratification is actually later Uh, And the pain is in the immediate, (laughs) if you know what I'm talking about. But right now we can just allow Holy Spirit to just reveal what's going on. Um, And Lord, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. That it's always going to come new to our ears. It's always going to be fresh. Because you're always speaking. Because your word is eternal. And we don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to take anything away from it. We just need to allow it to speak to us. And it can speak to us. The same scripture could hold such a permanence to us. And such a relevance to us. Throughout every stage of our life. And so Lord we just. We just. We just reorient our hearts to you. Lord if there's been something else that's taken. Our thoughts away from you. And wanting to please you. Perhaps we've been discouraged and we've lost sight of the fact that we will see you face to face. That we will behold you in your glory. Lord, right now, would you just remove every bit of fogginess, everything in the periphery. Would you just shine more brightly? So we just give you praise, Lord. We thank you that you are our sustainer through every season. And we thank you for what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in our lives individually. We just honor you and we give you praise, knowing that this is not it, that the best is yet to come. Your awesome, mighty name.